Philip, can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me? I can. Hey, uh, welcome to the uh, podcast, my friend. Thanks so much. Is the uh, audio sound okay? Yeah, sounds great. Yes, oh. everything's great. I think we're ready to kick it off uh, all the way from Los Angeles, California. Great to have you on tonight. Um, Philip, I'm just going to introduce you to the audience tonight. Um, this is uh, PK, Coach PK, Philip Kim. Um, <laughs> Philip and I kind of connected through Rosie Casal. So it's a really cool opportunity to get to, uh, uh, for you know, for everyone on our podcast here to learn a little bit about Philip and Rosie and a foundation they have going on along with uh, Coach PK here. Just want to get a little bit of background and welcome you to the uh, Growth Mindset Podcast, PK. Oh, thank you so much. It's an honor to be on here. And honestly, I, I wish it was Rosie herself. <laughs> she asked me to fill in for her. Uh, she's um, a little bit on tour right now. She just finished at the National uh, Girls Nationals in San Diego. So she was down there because they, they were kicking off the new Billie Jean King uh, tournament, Nationals, and they renamed it for Billie Jean. And so, uh, you know, Rosie's a part of the B B. JK Entourage. I <laughs> got to go down there and saw some oh, great yeah. That is awesome. And I want to dig into that. Uh, you know, part of the reason we're talking tonight, you know, Ro Rosie Cassell's got us together and and I know uh, she spoke volumes about you and, and your passion for the game and all you're doing to help her with that Love Love Tennis Foundation that you guys have going on. And uh, we're going to get into that in a little bit. Um, but um, PK, I just wanted to kind of let you kind of level set us a little bit on your passion for the game and your tennis background. And I know you've got a lot going on yourself and we're going to kind of talk about you, PK and Rosie both during the podcast, but I just appreciate you being on tonight and uh, you have a tremendous passion for the game. I've been doing a lot of research, you know, on you and you sent me some really cool stuff and it's just great to meet a, a fellow tennis ambassador like yourself who has a true passion for the game. Uh, Thank you so much. I, I really do have a passion for tennis. I love it. It has dramatically changed my life, added so much to uh, my fitness, uh, my health, um, kept me going, you know, uh, motion is lotion. <laughs> so yep. I really appreciate the the ability to just stay on court and have a lot of fun. And, and I, what I love the most is, of course, the community aspect of tennis. And just having yep. uh, large groups of friends all over the city and, and now meeting people all over the nation and all over the world who love tennis and are a part of that tennis tribe. So I'm just super glad, glad to be a part of that. Well, you, you're just we just kind of joined forces, PK. We'll, we'll talk more in the future as well because I'm always intrigued by some of the things I'm finding out uh, about you and Rosie and what's going on out there in California at uh, Echo Park, uh, also at the Huntington Hotel Pasadena, uh, downtown Los Angeles, uh, San Gabriel Valley, Monterey Park. You're just all over the place uh, being an advocate <laughs> for the game. I mean, I, I'm, I'm so impressed with your energy level. Uh, PK, I know you have a podcast. that We'll get into that here in a minute as well. And then you're busy with this foundation. You're What I really was intrigued about the foundation, we're going to get into this in more detail, but is all the new uh, kids that don't get an opportunity to play based on socio socioeconomic setbacks, you know, and um, that's right. I was one of those growing up myself. So it, it, that's what really uh, 
motivated me. Tennis has done so much for me. I've been playing since I was 22 and I'm 62. So I got 40 years into the game and I've made so many friends and met so many people, played so many tournaments and, you know, competed at a, uh, a pretty good level and um, around the South, you know, here in the U S and in Kentucky and uh, just been so blessed to be able to introduce it uh, through the PTR and the, and the, and the USTA uh, to so many people, you know, in this area here in Kentucky and throughout the South. And uh, just, it's given me so much. And um, I met, made so many friends. Actually the job I have now outside of tennis was because of tennis. And then I've been oh, a PTR, PTR instructor uh, for about 30, gosh, since 1986, uh, PK. I'm not real good with math, but 86, 96, <laughs> 2016, that's 35 35 years, I guess, PK. So a lot going well, on there, but yeah, yeah. You, you, I think you're, you're being so humble because you said you you've done well in Kentucky, but I, I read in your bio that you're actually, you have mo- multiple number one rankings in Kentucky. That is impressive. Well, a lot of good people around to help coach me and mentor me. And you and I both know that when you start picking a racket up and you're young and you're competitive, uh, as time goes on and, you know, you, you realize it, it took a lot of people to get you where you were. Uh, you played a lot of tournaments. You, you know, t- what I love about tennis, you can just get a ball and a racket and, and go out by yourself at night, and turn the lights on the court, practice serving, right? Yeah. Or you can go out and find two or three people that will put up with you when you first pick a racket up. Cause you know, you and I both know it's tough. It's a tough sport to learn, but, um, you know, if you have the, the right people around you and you, and you love it, you'll find a way to figure it out. And uh, that's what amazes me, PK, that we're having this conversation tonight. Tell us a little bit about you, PK, when you got into the game, what, how old you were and what got you motivated to play? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I've been playing since I was a kid, uh, you yep. know, the kind of the normal route. Uh, I didn't have a lot of formal coaching played through high school and some in college um, mm-hmm. and just, you know, really loved the game, always had a passion for it. Took a little break in between there, uh, played lots of tournaments, open, that kind of thing. But, you know, I guess uh, really my claim to fame is just being able to turn all my experiences into coaching and helping other people find tennis and uh, just landed some dream gigs, you know, working for mm-hmm. the USDA coaching and then, uh, being able to uh, coach at the historic Langham Hotel. Uh, it's called the Langham Huntington Hotel in Pasadena, yep. which is, you know, it's a beautiful five-star resort uh, hotel that has a membership of about 1,800. So it has a country club vibe to it as well, well as, cool. yeah, as well as being able to coach people who stay there. And usually it's a kind of high profile, high dollar client that comes in and right. so i've had the opportunity for instance uh apple would just buy out the hotel and have a conference there and uh for two hours a day i get to hit with the music director of apple you know or cool, man. yeah the, the, the chief operating officer of Citibank, and uh, these are you know they, they have high profile jobs but they're just like you and me they love tennis they yep. they're passionate about it you know uh, a lot of it may, might be they want to just beat the tennis pro. <laughs> so exactly. I, get to, <laughs> I get to play competitive matches, but I also get a lot of uh, time training. And then mm-hmm. there's within the Pasadena area also the membership there. We have classes. I do kids classes as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just so much fun because I feel like the hotel is run so well. 
and the people yep. are trained with such courtesy and, and kindness uh, and really just makes working there a dream. Uh, in addition to that, I'm the director of tennis for the city of Azusa, and that was actually a job that came through the USTA. The USTA used to have a program called Rec Tennis that was run out of USTA PNW, Pacific Northwest, and it was a, an amazing program to build community tennis. I really wish um, you know it could continue. Apparently, it was running for about three years. I was the director for that program here in Southern California and launched uh, over 18 different programs at different schools, uh, high schools, middle schools, even elementary schools, and just hired a ton of tennis people to teach and get kids involved in tennis. But unfortunately, with all of the national funding going towards Florida and the, the major campus, they cut those programs. So right. I really feel like it was a huge step backward for, for community tennis in, in uh, Southern California. It was really, really a bummer. Yeah. And uh, it sounds like you've got the, you've had the opportunity, uh, you know, in the public park aspect of it. I know it says Echo Park, uh, downtown Los Angeles, uh, San Gabriel Valley, Monterey Park. And then you've been able to work at that exclusive Langham Huntington Hotel, Pasadena. So you get to see the full gambit or the full circle of people out there that want to play the game. Am I, am I, am I correct in that judgment? I think so. And I don't think there's that much difference for, for even as far as levels, right. <laughs> you know, community versus uh, right. what's happening, you know, at the uh, club. I think it's just a lot of people who love the game, who really want to play. I mean, I think of Rosie Casals. She grew up on the community courts in Golden Gate Park, you know, and yep. that's how she learned to play tennis and become you know, a global champion in the game. So I think champions are born anywhere and everywhere. And it's, it yep. has a lot to do with passion and people being able to uh, find a, a community around them that's going to encourage them, support them, and give them what they need. What impressed me with Rosie was, you know, her Hispanic background being the first Virginia Slims champion in Houston. I thought that was really impressive, you know. And that was a title that I'm sure she will always remember. And then she went on to, uh, you know, play doubles with Billie Jean. I know they won many, many Grand Slams together. And Rosie did a lot, you know, did really well in singles and doubles. And uh, she went on into the International Tennis Hall of Fame in 1996, I believe it was, uh, on her own. And then she went back in this summer, I believe in July. Uh, there was nine of them that went in, the original nine, I believe it was. Um, that's and, right. Uh, that's pretty uh, amazing in itself i know that was something that uh, i've reached out to her a few times on i'm just so impressed with the fact that you know what they did for women's tennis is unparalleled and that that's amazing well and i think we so quickly forget uh the history of tennis and uh that's one of the reasons that i'm a huge federer fan because i feel like he's such a a historian of the game and really honors people in the game uh, he's done such a great job, you know, bringing up Rod Laver and, and naming the Laver Cup and just keeping the the champions uh, from history as a part of the game and reminding us people like Billie Jean, who who really is probably more famous for uh, other things rather than tennis. But people right. like Rosie and Tori Fretz and, and a lot of the people that were part of that original nine, they they changed uh, the economics of women's sports forever. Yes, it's uh, very impressive. 
And uh, just the fact that, uh, you know, they were remembered this summer, and it just got everyone to reflect back on the history of, of the game, you know. And uh, it, it's just really nice to see them recognized for everything that they've endured. And what was what's so impressive is, is those nine all were pretty much stayed into the game and, and, and helped advance the game, move it forward, and mentored a lot of other young tennis players that are even playing today. Yeah, that's right. And I think if you were in the inner circles of the WTA, you would really hear a lot of uh, inspirational stories on how some of the older players, um, older as far as time frame, uh, have led the way. And, you know, people like uh, Serena and Naomi would never get the paycheck that they have now right. if it wasn't for, you know, the original nine demanding, holding up a dollar and demanding pay for for women yep. that was equal to men. And so what they did was so courageous and they, they, they were under a lot of pressure. Uh, Jack Kramer and the people at the LA tennis uh, club mm-hmm. here and people were saying, you know, really pushing them not to uh, go that way, but to kind of stay under the thumb of men's control. And, uh, you know, it, it took a lot. And I actually interviewed Tori Fretz, who is a, a part of that, um, kind of tribe during that time. And uh, she shared a lot of the pressure and she was actually one yeah. of the people who, even though she was in that community, she didn't uh, go with Rosie and Billie Jean because she felt the pressure. And she says, you know, it's one of the things that she regrets the most. And so you can listening to her, tell her story. If you want to um, reference that podcast, you can really hear how hard it was uh, culturally to go against that, to rebel against that and, and to come up with something completely new and to stand up for yourself. Wow. I can't even imagine how hard that is. Yeah, that that's, I'm going to go back and check your podcast out. And uh, what I would like to do is maybe if you don't mind, just kind of introduce us to your podcast. I know you've got a podcast that you're doing and maybe you could, uh, kind of introduce it to our listeners and give us a few examples of, of I know Tori Fretz, that's, that's an amazing interview you had there. And then I know, uh, Vana, is it, I'm going to butcher it. Is it Vana King, Vana oh, King? Oh, Vanya. Yeah. Vanya, yeah, Vanya King. King. Two yeah. times Grand Slam champion. Yeah. Uh, I was so excited to interview her because she actually was born in the city that I live right now. It's called Monterey Park, California. So, you know, just, I, I just call that a hometown hero, you know, just to have yep. her be able to rise up from a very small, mostly Asian American community here. Then she went to Long Beach and she played against everyone and anyone who would play on the public courts and really rose to prominence. And, you know, her father was uh, Asian American and really had a heavy accent. And so you can imagine the kind of resistance that they had. Oh, yeah as they were trying to break into the game and he was trying to find the best coaches for his kids. Actually, uh, his uh, Vanya's older brother, Philip King rose to number 200 in the world as well. And so they had tremendous talent in that family and the father really, you know, coached them and pushed them and encouraged them to go as far as they could. And yeah, it's really, really an amazing story. So that that's one of the stories that people can check out. Our podcast is called Tennis Pal Chronicles, and it's actually sponsored by an app called Tennis Pal, 
which is a free okay. app you can download on Android and iPhone. And you and it's actually the idea of the the app is just find people to play with. So you can enter your zip code, find people who have registered in your zip code area, send them a direct message and say, "Hey, you know, do you want to play on this mm-hmm. court?" that kind of thing. And it was started by this wonderful lady who's uh, one of my best friends who decided uh, she was having a hard time finding people to play with. Uh, she right. was an engineer and she actually plays USTA tournaments and stuff and saw a real decline in people showing up at tournaments. And yep. so she said, you know, I need to use my technology skills and, and create something that allows me to go beyond the USTA and find people to play with. And so she built that app and I'm really proud to be a part of it. So can you, can you pull the podcast up on that app? Or is that one way to access the podcast? Or Yeah, you can do that. Um, I also okay. use Anchor like you, uh, which right. distributes it to, you know, Spotify and iTunes right. and, and everything. So, you know, it's it's available anywhere. One of the cool features of our podcast uh, that I really enjoy is uh, through Twitter, I've been able to find basically tennis enthusiasts, passionate Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, crazy fans <laughs> like mm-hmm. myself and you, like you, Ty. Exactly, all, brother. From all over the world, and yeah. um, so one of the ideas was, hey, let's let's talk about like what's happening at the U.S. Open, but let's come from a passionate fan perspective. I so like that. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So there's actually like a, a girl who is probably Djokovic's number one fan from you know Bosnia Herzegovina, and mm-hmm. she's met him many times, and she's in a lot of the pictures that you'll see at mm-hmm. tournaments of him hugging a fan, that kind of thing. And she just became a friend uh, on social media, and so she creates her own little like five minute Djokovic fan favorite report, we call it, um, you know, at the tournament talks about her experience, what's happening there. We have a Roger Federer fan from Australia. We have a Sitsipas fan from New Zealand. Uh, we have a Serena Williams fan from the United States here in Southern California. So people from kind of all over the world who picked one person that they really want to report on uh, Andy Murray fan from Texas. And uh, cool. it's, yeah. yeah, it's just really fun to hear their passion come through, right? Because to me, that's yeah. what tennis is for me. It's not only the players and, and the, the tournaments, but it's really the fans. And the fans is what makes tennis so great for me. I really enjoy that part of it. Yeah, I've hooked up with uh, that Andre, uh, uh, Andre Rublev has a sister or a cousin or somebody on Facebook. I, got a, I hooked up with him. I get all the insights on Rublev. It's kind of cool, you know, because that's so great. They're like inside really, info, right? Yeah, yeah. And they're really you know, like every match he plays, there's feedback and they talk to Rublev and they post stuff. And then, you know, of course, he has a fan page, which I, I think is fascinating. And before Rublev even made the finals of Cincinnati this week, I've been a big fan of his. I just love the way he hits the ball with all oh that passion. So he knocks the cover off of it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he may miss one, but it, you never see him holding back. He just free swings so free, you know. Yeah, and uh, Zervov is another one that just won Cincinnati. I love his game. He's about six six. He covers the court really well. I've seen him grow into his body the last couple of years, and um, he has a tremendous passion for the game. And uh, I can go on and on and on with these players, but uh, Djokovic is another one that's just a freak. You know, to get twenty, him Nadal, and uh, uh, Nadal, uh, Djokovic, and, uh, and Federer all have twenty, right? Yeah, all twenty, and you know, Federer seems to be trying to get over his knee surgeries. Right, it's going to be a challenge for him, but you never count Federer out. 
And then Nadal's had some injuries, but, you know, he'll be back for the French. He's taking the rest of the year off. And then Novak had that disappointing Olympics, but he's going for the calendar slam coming up here at the at the, uh, at the Open, you know, in, right. in New York. So right. uh, it I know you're so looking forward to so disappointing to see no Novak lose at the Olympics. It, I, I think everybody yeah, thought it was a shoe in, you know? Well, what happened to him at my own perspective? And of course it's just my little limited mindset. Right. But it seems as though uh, he put so much out in those three grand slams that he won this year. And he went up there and he played mixed and he, you know, he took the whole tournament in and no, no excuses, but I think physically in that heat in Japan, I, I've got a lot of friends are from Japan and they told me, it's unlike any other humidity you've ever experienced. I mean, yeah, yeah. it was 92, 95 air temperature with 90% humidity and, and even the best of the best, no excuses, but he was a lot of those guys he was competing against didn't play mixed doubles. Right. 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 And he just come hey, off. You got to remember he makes the finals of every one of these tournaments, you know, so right. it, it grinds you down a little bit. But, uh, Absolutely. And I, and I do think the Olympics is a little bit of a kryptonite for him because this is the third consecutive Olympic Games that he's a part of where he did not medal. Uh, he medaled at the very first one that he was a right. part of. He That's got bronze. But yes. three. I think, three I think this would be this is probably this was a great train. As, disappointment sets up success. Right. Yeah. And when you're riding as high as that guy is to get a calendar grand slam, if he can pull the U S open off, yeah. can you imagine that's only been done? What, who, I, I know labor did it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's rare, very rare. Right. So I think he'll use this as a motivator for him, you know, yeah. uh, to set him up for success at the U S open. Now he did, did not play Cincinnati, which he always plays, you know, right. so, and he hasn't, is tuned he hasn't tuned up I has he played a tournament since the olympics no i don't think so yeah so this will be interesting you know because um zerv and and um rublev and and um you know the other russians will be ready you know uh it's Med, medvedev and uh the the other russian got a silver medal you know the yeah. big strong kid about six five knocks the crap out of it right yeah, which is pretty I impressive. think is right up there too. He's got some chances. He's really playing well right now. He he actually had he had a double break in the third set in Cincinnati. He really technically should have won that, right? Yeah, yeah. Zerva told him at the net, "You were the better player today." But right. you know, at the end of the day, he did not. That's not what you want to hear. <laughs> no, none of us want to hear that. You're right about that, brother. <laughs> Hey man, um, you got tremendous passion for this game, and it's just so so much fun having you on. So, how's your podcast been going? Is it something you've really enjoyed? I mean, you continue to expand it, grow it, or it really is, yeah. And uh, lately, it's been super fun partnering with the USTA on the podcast and trying to get people who are kind of under the radar but up and coming mm -hmm. uh, players, and especially mm -hmm. if they come from a diverse and uh, yep. inclusive background. So, yep. for instance, uh, we're going to have uh, Juliana almost featured in um, late September. I actually am interviewing her on Wednesday for nice. the – Hispanic Heritage Month um, that we're going to do. And for instance, Vanya was uh, interviewed for the Asian American Heritage Month uh, during mm -hmm. May. So that was great. And also Grant Chen, who is the new head coach um, 
at uh, SMU. So that was a lot of fun talking to him. And he, he was uh, assistant head coach for Billy Martin at UCLA for many years. So I love UCLA tennis also being in my backyard. And I'm a big right. fan of like, M- Mackie McDonald who came out and went pro right. and, you know, won singles and doubles at the NCAA for the first time in 30 years, I think. So kind of amazing. Yeah. He's, just made he, the, didn't he just make the finals of the, uh, he did. the, he did. the tournament in Washington, DC, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. So I, yep. I have City high hopes. Yep. Right. Yep. I have high hopes yep. for Mackie. I just I feel like again he's the hometown boy. He's actually from Northern California, uh, but he was at UCLA and it was really fun. And I'll tell you, I got to hit with some of those guys at UCLA at a charity tournament with, uh, right. with that Billy Martin put on. And uh, boy, I felt like when I was playing with these college guys, I couldn't couldn't play tennis at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. I'm Billy, I've got Billy I'm, Martin I'm like a beginner. I've got 3,200 people on a site. I started on Facebook. It's uh, it's called Kentucky Tennis a Sport for Life, but it went global. <laughs> so I've got nice. like 3,500 members all over the world on it, and yeah. Billy's on there. Billy Martin. I've got all the a lot of the NCAA coaches on there. I've interviewed a few of those. And, yeah, uh, it's been really fascinating. And uh, UCLA is um, is is a really interesting program. I, you know, I interviewed uh, uh, the former Stanford coach Dick Gould and a former sure, Pepperdine coach, amazing. Alan Fox. Yeah. I've had both those guys on. And uh, just talking to Dick and how Stanford had never won it, you know, when he got there and he, he did a lot of a lot of things to really kick that program off. But you, it was typically, historically, UCLA and USC uh, right. were two real dominant uh, teams uh, out there in California, and they're still very prominent and very competitive. Is it the Pac-10? Is that what I believe it was right. called, the pac Right. Right. And then uh, UCLA is uh, just in the last four or five years has some outstanding singles and doubles players come out of there. I mean, they're they're tough. Yeah, especially on the women's side. They they have really stepped up. And in general, I feel like the women's game, WTA, is so exciting right now. Mm. It's anyone's game. The level is so high and their their form has just dramatically uh, changed and really increased in power and uh, speed and it's it's amazing to, these women players right now are are so fun to watch yeah i just did a, a podcast with the the uh Kentucky the uh, top seed tennis club over here uh with Jonathan who runs that and he actually ran the pro tournament that was going to be in Washington last year they moved it to Lexington it, uh, uh-huh. it was the big, the big one. It was the first tournament post COVID, and they had Serena uh-huh. and Venus, and all of them came here. And yeah. uh, they had we had twelve of the top fourteen players in the world here in Lexington. First time wow. ever. Wow. It was unbelievable, <laughs> and um, I mean it was phenomenal. And uh, uh, it, it it Jim Brady ended up pulling that tournament out, which was remarkable. Did really well. And uh, I believe in the final, she played uh, the Cincinnati finalist from Switzerland made the final. The lefty. Oh, okay. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, good player. And uh, but um, it, you know, it just it was great to see the women's game progressing and everyone back and excited to play tennis post COVID when all that happened. But uh, just uh, just watching the women's game right now, it's wide open, kind of like the men's. You see a lot of the younger players coming up and and. Uh, you know, really uh, making their mark right now. If you look at uh, Australia, uh, the, uh, the the girl that's number one right now, who just 
won the Cincinnati tournament over the Bart, Swift Ash girl. Barty. Ash Barty's tough, man. She's got a slice backhand. She doesn't miss. She can come She's over. So consistent. Great so forehand, solid. Just a great yeah. player. But there's it's wide open. I mean, anyone. It's it's it, probably ten players could win. I believe the women's uh, U.S. Open coming up. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I, I feel the same way. And uh, I, I was really excited about uh, Iga Swiatek because I feel like I love her game watching her play. And it's great to have Bianca Andrescu back because, wow, what a crafty and, and powerful player she is as well. So again, like I said, I feel like it's super exciting to see what's happening on the women's side. I am excited about the men, but you know, for, for American tennis, it was just shocking that we didn't have uh, very many Americans at the Olympics uh, for the first time. And I think 30 years, we were not in the top uh, 30 at the Olympics. And it, that was heartbreak for, for America, I think. Yeah, we've got, I know in the top 100 right now, we've got about, I, I know um, uh, the big 6'11 kid uh, that he just yeah, made Riley the finals. Yes, Opelka, he just made the finals of uh, – the DC turn was it the DC one of those he just made the finals in, which was no it was Canadian Open, he made the yes. finals of Canadian Open, which was a a thousand that was a one thousand tournament right I yes. mean it was one of those big ones kind of like Cincinnati, and for him to make that final uh, was quite impressive, and he just I think he you know, by making that final he passed Isner as the number one U.S. player right now the top yeah. uh, top twenty five I believe around that area. Uh, but yeah. we've still got probably 15 players there uh, within, you know, when the striking distance of the top 20 that are somewhere between that 30 and 80 range, you know, we've got several yeah. in there that are, that are, you know, TFO, you know, uh, Isner, you can go down the list, Stevie Johnson, he's from down the road from you there at USC. I mean, he's trying to break through. I, I knew his father. I was friends with him on Facebook. I hated that we lost him. He was such a great guy, Stevie's dad. Yeah, that, that was really uh, hard. For, it was for hard all. for Stevie too because I think he's, yeah. you know, he had us had a child, and he seems to be. He had a. He made the finals of the doubles here in Cincinnati this past week. Stevie did, by the way, which was phenomenal. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But uh, we've got a lot of up and comers. I, I feel like uh, the McDonald kid you were talking about out of UCLA. He's right up right up there as well making noise right made that, made one, that one of my favorite newcomers is sebastian corda i feel like he's the real oh, deal yes. he's, he's, got he's the real team. deal man he's so smooth and i don't know who yeah. knocked him out at cincinnati i was hoping he'd make a run and make that you know make that uh final you know at least the 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 elite eight there but uh he had a real good grand slam tournament i believe it was the french right he played really well in the french and uh had a really good run at the french open and uh, yeah, oh, he, lo he lost to the uh, Russian guy that ended up uh, with the silver medal. He lost to him, I think, in the French in the, like the quarters, which was phenomenal, right? Right. And wow, he is such a heavy hitter. Incredible strokes. He's got a heavy ball, man. He's smooth. He doesn't <laughs> seem to get rattled either, does he? Doesn't look yeah. rattled out there. And that yeah. tie break, he played that uh, the Russian guy to a fifth set. I think it was 14-12 or 16-14 tiebreaker. I mean, it was incredible, you know? Wow. A lot of fun. Uh, interesting yeah, fact yeah, about PK. Sebastian is uh, his father was actually a former world number two and a uh, Australian Open champion. <laughs> I, I did know that. I remember watching him play. I used to go tell him age a little bit. I used to go up to Cincinnati and watch McEnroe and Connors and BJ Armitage and V. Oh, Lander, oh, wow. Ed Berg. I got 
Becker, I got to go in there. I started playing tennis in 1981, 82, uh, right as they got away from wood rackets, right, which was kind of cool. I'm a tennis collector as well, along with my friend, Dr. Michael Eaton. Mike's a real collector. I'm a novice collector, but I've got quite a few things, and it's so much fun. But just seeing those – remembering those wooden rackets and that transition into composite graphite. You know, remember the the Prince graphite when it came on? And uh, I know that's way before your time, but – it was really cool. It was really cool being right on the court with McEnroe screaming and throwing stuff and Connors with his fist pumps and, you know, yeah. VJ Armitage out there, you know, with uh, it was just so much fun watching V Lander uh-huh. with a Rosnell racket and Edberg and yeah. uh, Nystrom and uh, Becker and Lindell. And I could just keep going, brother. It was so much fun, you know, but wow. to see the game transition through the years and, and see these uh, up and coming players and how athletic they are, and to be a part of the, you know, the uh, uh, the Andy Murray, the, you know, the uh, uh, Federer, uh, Nadal, Djokovic air, those four players. I mean, yeah. it's just priceless, you know. Yeah, I, mean, I, I love every bit. Tell me, Ty. I'm really interested to hear your perspective. Was tennis as frustrating? Uh, in the Connor era or or even before, was it just as frustrating for people to learn? Was it just as hard? Or do you feel like it's harder now because the game is so much faster and so much more athletic? You know, I think uh, – t- I, I just think tennis I, – I, I, I started playing around 82. You know, I was 22 20, – about 21, 22 years old. And I was always an athletic guy into sports. But just in general – I think tennis is a very challenging sport to pick up. Number one, you know, back it, it, it back when I was growing up, we couldn't afford it. I, I grew up in a housing project. I lost my dad in the military, and mom moved us to a housing project. So we, we, we grew up needing help, you know, and we really couldn't afford tennis balls and tennis rackets. And uh, we had a tennis court, and, and it had glass all over it, and people rode their bikes on it, right? Oh, and we, all, we all played basketball, man. I grew up as a basketball player and a football guy. And then when I was about um, 22, I had a friend challenge me to tennis. And I picked a racket up, uh, borrowed one out of him, out of his trunk. And, it, and at that point, I fell in love with it. But reflecting back on it uh, during that, that era, it was a, it was a challenge because uh, for me because of money, right? And then once I got a job and I was 21, 22, and I was going to college and night school, uh, I began to have the funds to be able to go buy a racket, get, you know, uh, get some balls and maybe take up, take a lesson. Right. And yeah. then I fell in love with it. And then I'd play twice a day. Right. And I really loved it and went crazy over it and went from a C player to an A player in like two years. And then wow. started playing tournaments and Southern tournaments, Kentucky tournaments, and just played so many good players and took my lumps and then eventually started beating a lot of those guys. But it That's takes great. time to learn the game. But back to what you asked me, I just think it's always been a frustrating and challenging sport to learn. And a lot of kids give up too early with it. Sure. But, and nowadays with the, with the app, you know, Apple phones and, and TVs and, and air conditioning. When I grew up, we didn't have air conditioning, you know, <laughs> I mean, my mother kicked us out of the house, go do something, you know, there's and your so air conditioning. I lived on the basketball court eight hours a day, man. Worked on the farm. So when I got a tennis racket in my hand and some white shorts and a t-shirt, I thought, this is easy. I love this game. Because yeah. you can really work people with it, you know, really get out there and sweat. And I love to fight and compete. And, you know, it, it was a challenge and it was something to grow with, right? Meet so many new people and 
And, you know, we had ladders at the club I joined and my wife got me a membership. Just that, you know, that whole challenge, that whole opportunity to love and grow the game and and uh, really connect with people and, and set goals. And then when I joined Bandemir down in Hilton Head for about two weeks and got my certification, I just went ballistic with it, man. You know, going wow. out teaching people and enjoying I slow, I've got relationships with so many people, thousands of people from tennis. And uh, but, yeah, was it hard? Yeah. But anything that's worth doing, it, it, it's not going. A lot of times, it's not easy, right? And yeah. tennis is something that I think it, it could have been a lot easier if if I had probably had some more fundamental coaching early. Even though I did get some, Joe Brandenburg was my first uh, lesson, and that was on a public court, Parks and Rec, right? Sure. How many people learn from Parks and Rec? I mean. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. I was jumping off the ground every time I hit the ball because I was so excited. <laughs> he said, Ty, you got to keep your feet on the ground, brother. You can't jump like that. Nowadays, you see him leaping and hitting two-handed backhands and everything. But it was like dancing out there. I was having so much fun. She said, you're loving this. I'm like, Jill, this is just so much fun, you know? Yeah. And yeah. you and I, if we can take our passion and give it to somebody else, and they can have a tenth of the degree of fun we've had, yeah. you know? and introduce other people to it. I think that's really how you grow the game. What do you think? Absolutely. I think uh, one of the reasons people stick with me is because of my passion. And I right. really enjoy getting people to the next level, getting to the place yep. where, you know, they can actually read the ball or rally with a friend or, you know, a right. lot of playing catch, you know, a lot, a lot of really basics and fundamentals for beginners or, or even the competitive juniors that I teach and just seeing them win and win and, and improving their game and working on their footwork. So, so much fun. Yeah. It's really great. I had uh, an opportunity just recently to coach uh, the number four player in Hong Kong who came to the Langham Huntington and he stayed there for a month. I think they came here to get the vaccine, you know. <laughs> right. But, but he, uh, seventeen year old, seventeen years old, and you know the the pool is so small in Hong Kong that they're all playing each other. And right. uh, he 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 had a great game. It was so fun working with him and uh, working on his pronation on the serve. Just really could slam that ball down. It was really fun. Lots, lots I, I can't let you go without asking you a couple more questions about this photo you got here. With you uh, at uh, looks like you got uh, Andy Roddick on one shoulder, you got James Blake on the other one, you got Marty Fish on the other one, uh, and who's that other guy on the far left over there with the Fila shirt on? I'm just trying to do you you recall who that is? Let's see. Uh, it must be Tommy Haas. Is is that is it that is Tommy Haas? What about that? Yeah. You have yeah. a big German over there with you, man. So you got like I mean that's world number four, two, dude. That's four of the top players. Andy was the number one player in the U.S. for like 15 years, I believe, top 10. Yeah. James Blake uh, played at Harvard. He played a year at Harvard, right? And he went on and tore and was awesome. What Marty a forehand. Fish, Insane yeah, for great him. forehand. Yeah. Marty Fish was about as smooth as they come with that right. backhand, and, and he was yeah. solid. And then uh, Tommy Haas is probably it, – it'll go down as one of the top probably four or five German players of all time, right? I mean, he's yeah. right up there, Steak and well, World number two him. at that time, yeah. yeah and, and yeah. you know, in the in the single backhand boys club. <laughs> yes. Uh, actually, Blake – I think Blake was single backhand, and so was Haas, right? And then yeah. Roddick, I think was, Roddick was two hands and Fish was two, two hands. hands. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. Are, are you a two-hand or a one-hand yourself? 
I, I, you know, I do a little of both. I, I think the major when I'm playing uh, tournaments or you know being uh, challenged, I'm probably much more two-handed defensive on the backhand side. Right. Uh, but uh, you know, I I enjoy playing uh, with the one-hander uh, often, and you know, obviously coaching people, uh, just keeping it going. So it's so fun to swing a one-hand because my idols, Roger Federer, it's so right. fun to try to get that but uh, definitely in tournament play i'm a lot more uh, comfortable with the two hands <laughs> keeping it in that's awesome hey brother uh this love uh this love love a uh, love set uh, match tennis partners i know rosie put this thing this love love tennis foundation um it's just so important that this gets recognized tonight and that's one of the primary reasons for having you on i just want to take a few minutes and let you kind of fill us in on on how that kind of started and where you're at with it now and kind of what you're some of the goals and ambitions are for this uh, uh, foundation. Sure. I, I can't talk about it without talking about Rosie, who, you know, is just this amazing champion, as you said. And, uh, you know, I just love her to death. She is just such a gold uh, gem. And uh, everybody on the tour talks about how funny she was on tour. And, you know, all of her contemporaries during that time, uh, Chris Everett, uh, Martina Navratilova, Tracy Austin, uh, they were Billie Jean King, of course, her partner. Um, they all loved each other in a way that I'm not sure that happens on the tour right now, but you know, all of them support each other so much. Every time we go to Indian Wells, we have a big, uh, shindig out there and they uh -huh. all come, they all come to support Rosie, um, Mary That's Carrillo and Shriver. They'll all come to that dinner. They're all like hugging each other, loving each, loving on each other. Uh, last time I was there, I heard this great story about how Martina, uh, Navratilova and Chris Ever were always in the finals of everything, you know, right. <laughs> this certain period of time. Yep. And right before they would go on, they would uh, play like a board game together, you know, and they'd just uh -huh. be waiting to go on and they'd be playing yep. this board game and then they'd go on and, and uh, take it to the court and take it to each yep. other. <laughs> That's amazing, man. Yeah. You know, and you just don't think of uh, contemporary tennis like that, you know? Right. So I feel like there's a real special bond to people who were a part of, you know, the seventies tennis battle of the sexes kind of thing that happened uh, during that time with, with Rosie Casals. And out of that, she started uh, the love and love tennis foundation. And uh, she started it with her, good friend Tori Fretz, who also is uh, was a uh, California number two player and, and trained at the Los Angeles Tennis Club, was a part, a part of that community that was part of the original nine, but as I said, was not actually one of the nine. But they're all such good friends still. And um, Rosie started this foundation basically to help people who were just like her, who started on the public courts, uh, might be underprivileged, uh, might right. not have the means to play tennis and mm -hmm. grow up in a country club. How can I find these outstanding junior players? How can I find kids that want to learn how to play tennis? How can we uh, make that possible? So it started in her backyard in the Coachella Valley, which is the desert of Southern California, uh, right near Indian Wells, actually. And mm -hmm. so she started doing free clinics for all these kids and just teaching them and getting the boys and girls club to come out. And, and it just grew and grew where, you know, lots of people wanted to get involved and help her out. And so she, the, 
did all of these events with like uh, Charlie Parcells and, you know, mm-hmm. a whole bunch of other people who were all friends of theirs. And it just grew. And I, I was really grateful that she allowed me to take it into Los Angeles as the LA chapter of the mm-hmm. Love and Love Tennis Foundation and try to grow it in areas here. And as I said, the USTA had hired me to do this uh, program in an underprivileged area uh, mm-hmm. called Azusa, California, which is like a 90% free lunch area. Mm-hmm. So how do we get these kids to come on court and play tennis? And uh, how do we get them to not just think soccer is the only sport in town, right? But tennis mm-hmm. is also the great Did you take the mobile town. nets into that area to show the Absolutely. kids? Absolutely. Yeah. Was, we, I'm just curious how you pull that off. Yeah, we did it right on the grass uh, in the parks. Uh, so e- even if they couldn't come to the tennis club, but we also had uh, access to the public school system. So they would allow us to teach a quick 15 minute like tennis fitness class during uh, school as part of their recess. And so we recruited a ton of kids that way because mm-hmm. people really enjoyed us being on the campus. They would allow me to come to the morning assembly and mm-hmm. do a little demo and talk about it. And you know, our program grew to several hundred people involved. Not only were there uh, kids coming, but also the parents were coming and saying, hey, oh, nice. this is, looks like a lot of fun. So, right. yeah, it was really exciting for that to grow and uh, really trying to find people uh, who were be, would be interested no matter what your economic status, no matter right. what your racial background is. Were you uh, able to, to help get rackets and shoes and some of that stuff for the kids? I mean, was, it, was yes. that? Okay. Yes. Yeah, we had great sponsors. So, you know, Babylon came to the table and we did a big demo day and they gave, gave away rackets and, you know, we wow. had shoes and, and all of that kind of stuff. And so we have a lot of great partnerships with uh, a lot of people that would uh, support us in that way. So super, super proud of that and really grateful for those kinds of days where people were giving it. And then also lots of people just had tons of rackets in their garage that they <laughs> used to exactly. play with in the seventies, you know, and they BK, would just I donate. Think a, I think we're in an inclusion dev- uh, environment now, more so than I've, I've seen in my lifetime. Yeah. Where we can do more for these people and me, you know, coming from the projects uh, myself, it's kind of in the back of my heart and mind. It's something I'd like to do more of in the future, you know? And I just think this, uh, the verse, the, you know, uh, diversity and inclusion piece. Uh, you know, there's more that can be done here in Kentucky. We're doing a great job. I'm, I was on the marketing committee uh, for a number of years and I was chairman of the USTA Kentucky marketing uh, team uh, for a year. And then I got crazy busy in my personal life and had to step out this year for a little while, but I can see where uh, just from what I'm learning from you tonight, you know, that that's a great uh, foundation you guys, you Rosie has built along with getting people like you engaged and involved in it. There's so much we can learn from that and maybe even take some of those uh, ideas here. We've got some great people. Christy Herring does a lot of this in the public schools in Lexington. You know, the the 10 and under tennis trying to get younger kids involved early, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Which is Phone fascinating. <laughs> yeah. They're doing that, man. And then her husband's a coach at Henry Clay High School and he was a Georgetown college tennis coach, but John Herring is, uh, he's a USTA treasurer for the U S for the, for the USTA, uh, Southern. So he's a treasurer for the USTA Southern last I heard. And it really, we got a lot of people really engaged in the game here. So, you know, and just speaking of the USTA, your brain gives me a chance to think of some ideas, right? 
Yeah, let, let me also tell you that uh, the USDA was so uh, uh, supportive of the school systems. They actually have a program where if I could get four or five teachers together for a one or two hour training, they would come in and uh, bring product for the schools to keep on campus. So it would be like 12 rackets, uh, boxes of balls, foam balls, you know, that whole package. And so I was able to arm students and uh, teachers on campuses with this product and then they could take those and and come to our lessons but they could also use it during their recess time as well so just trying to grow the game how do we get more people to find out how fun it is to play tennis well i want you to personally thank rosie for me for getting you on here tonight and uh, oh of course i will giving us some great insights and 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 uh, tell rosie how proud we are her uh not only in her induction personally by herself back in the day but uh, I think her going in with uh, the original nine, that's got to be a special place in her heart. So uh, congratulations there. And uh, I want to thank you for sharing your passion for the game. And before we uh, uh, we part ways, I, I, I normally go through this little question thing. You're not aware of this, but I've got five or six questions. You just tell me what pops in your head. Okay. Sure. Okay. So growth mindset. What do you think pops in your head when you hear the word growth mindset? Um, the courage to take risk. What about fixed mindset? Hmm. Uh, sedentary, stationary. Yes. What, what do you, what, what, what comes to your mind when you think of competing? Um, trying to bring your best self to the game. What about teamwork? Oh, powerful. When I think teamwork, I think, uh, synergy, energy, uh, so much more than you can do by yourself. And a couple other quick questions, and we'll get you off here. What, what, what do you feel like you want to accomplish in tennis that you you you're still you haven't made it yet, but you, you're just setting goals? Is there something down the road? Maybe you, you don't want to share it with us, but I try to stretch your mindset while you're on here. What are you thinking? Um, do you see? I don't think you have any limits personally. Just chatting with you, you got a, an amazing uh, heart and mind, and and you're wanting to help others, but. Is there something bigger down the road you're looking to do or, or are you just letting it come at you as it comes? I think for me, uh, long-term, I would love to be a part of the process of the game. Just, just a small figure in helping to grow tennis because I love the sport so much. I want it to grow. I think personally for my own tennis, I would love to serve more aces. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Now, this is the last question. If you could reach out to a youngster out there that hasn't picked up a tennis racket yet and speak to that youngster about what tennis could do for them, what, what could it do for them? Not only as a player, but what could it do for them from a, from a, uh, building relationships, uh, exercise, health, just throw some things out there uh, to the kid that hasn't picked the racket up yet. Yeah. What I would, what I tell all my students is tennis is a great multidiscipline sport. So you don't have to just pick one sport and, and be all in. You can actually gain so much from tennis. You can uh, gain hand-eye coordination. You can gain rhythm. You can gain timing. Uh, There's so much that carries over into other sports and, of course, the fitness regime of it. Uh, One of the most powerful aspects of tennis to me is to gain a mental control of emotions Mm -hmm. and being able to control yourself and make 
decisions based on progress rather than based on results. And I think that's something that's mm. so hard to learn in, in other sports when, you know, there's a whole team that's playing. It's not just on you. Whereas in tennis, it is just on you. You really put yourself out there and you see who you are and it gives you a chance to either put yourself down or lift yourself up. And hopefully mm. you're surrounded by people who lift you up because uh, it can be a moment of inflection uh, and reflection and improvement. And that's what I love about tennis is the, the mental game of it, the, the mm -hmm. idea that you can actually make progress rather than just put yourself down. I think you nailed it right there. And I'm, we're going to close on that one uh, based on the fact that you can take small steps, small victories, one step at a time. And that's it may right. just be winning a point, you know, uh, eventually you win a game, right? And then right. as you continue to make progress and you mix up serve and volley, ground strokes, better serves, more consistency, more, more, more uh, offensive weaponry in your game, the more you get more flexible like Novak, right? Uh, right. The more your mental <laughs> game gets tougher, you know? And the right, more work you, on your you, breathing. Yeah, you work on your breathing, your first strike tennis. We can make a list right. of a, a thousand things that you can make baby <laughs> steps on, right? And I right. think we could write a little, you know, progress book on this game, you and I. <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, it's all those little things that add up to mental control and physical ability, and it has no limits, right? That's right. That's right. Hey, PK, yeah, thanks I, for being on tonight, brother. I really appreciate oh, it. Oh, gosh. Thank you for so much for letting me share the mission of uh, Love and Love Tennis Foundation. I, I, would, I would really enjoy if people would go to our Facebook group. Yep. Uh, and we have a page there where they can uh, be a part of Love and Love Tennis Foundation. Just Love and Love Tennis Foundation on Facebook is probably the best way to reach us. And okay. they can also donate to the foundation yep. through there on Facebook. It's the best way for us to receive donations. Facebook uses network for good and actually allows us to keep a hundred percent of any Facebook donation. Whereas if they use PayPal or right. something else, we would actually lose That's a percent. What is the site on Facebook? Can you just give it to us? Uh, what? Sure. It's, it's just, yeah, it's just facebook.com slash love and love tennis foundation, Inc. I'm going to write that down. Facebook.com. Slash, slash love love a n d love tennis foundation i n c i'll send you the link too maybe yeah. you can blast it out in I will your blast show it. i'll put it on my tennis site if you could uh, yeah. take a look at that kentucky tennis is sport for life i'm gonna join I'm, I'm in and, uh, yeah and I'll, i'm gonna post our podcast on there and uh, oh, i'll great. also send it to you as well thank you yeah, tonight I'll, for I'll your share it on uh, my twitter as well yeah. you, brother yeah. Oh, thank Thanks you for getting so much. on tonight. What an, okay. honor. what an honor. I appreciate it. Thank you so hey, much. Man, you Ty. Have a great rest of the week. And uh, let's touch base again. Maybe we'll do another one down the road here in a, in a few months just to follow back up on what's been happening. Okay. Sounds great. Thank you. Ty. All right, brother. Have Be a good one. Take care of yourself. All right. Bye bye. bye, -bye.